Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, because that's the best thing that could ever happen to us. And Father, we recognize that even as we choose to follow you, that others will see and they will want to follow as well. So make us good stewards of our influence, Lord, in all that we do and all that we say. May we honor you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime in college, I realized the things that my father had taught me and I began to share them with some of my friends and they said, you know, you need to write those things down. Your dad has a a lot of wisdom. I don't know that uh, it would be wisdom in the classical sense, but maybe more in the sort of consecrated common sense mode. He had a lot of uh, understanding about life and uh, he worked hard to shield us from pain and difficulty. And one of the ways he did that was when we were getting into something that we shouldn't, he would look at us and sort of drop one eyebrow and say, quit acting a fool. And he said that frequently. Uh, We probably need to hear that frequently. But I remember one occasion especially, uh, I was lying on the pavement in the middle of the road. And my mother was standing over me hysterically uh, saying, I told you not to go out in traffic. And there was a truck that had just knocked me down in the road, sort of parked there in the road. And I, I looked up and my father came running through the crowd to make sure I was okay. And uh, he, was, he was grateful when he, when he surmised that I had survived. He lifted me to my feet and sort of brushed me off and looked me in the eyes and said, now quit acting a fool. And then he just walked off. And um, I've never forgotten that moment. It was one of those teachable moments in my life when I had learned a hard lesson and he just wanted to sort of underscore that with that admonition. If I had to summarize the teaching of Solomon to his children in the book of Proverbs, I would say that is one of the major themes. Quit acting a fool. Don't act foolishly, but rather instead, apply your hearts to wisdom. In another place, he says, guard your hearts because your hearts are the wellspring of life. And what Solomon wanted for his kids, what we want for our kids, what God wants for all of his children is that we should live and life is found in following God's wisdom. It's almost as if Solomon sometimes personifies wisdom and says, wisdom calls to you in the streets. And wisdom is, from his perspective, this this maternal figure who speaks truth into our lives when we need to be corrected or instructed or directed. Let's hear the words of Solomon to his children. Let's listen In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, would you stand with me as we read? And then I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as well, which is the exposition of these verses. In other words, the writer of Hebrews quotes these two verses and then explains how they apply to our lives. Quit acting a fool is the title of the message. Next Sunday we'll have the Lord's Supper. The week after that, the serious sin of the slothful sluggard. I can't wait to share that with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves. As a father, the son He delights in. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, after the great hall of fame of faith and the cloud of many witnesses and fixing our eyes on Jesus and remembering how Jesus endured even though people tried to exhaust him. He begins to talk about our suffering 
And he quotes chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 from Proverbs. And then in Hebrews 12, verse 7, he begins to apply it and says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You may be seated. Solomon was both a son and a father. His dad was King David, so he had a good example. Think about David, a man after God's own heart, wrote many of the Psalms. It was a household filled with worship, filled with joy. He also had a father with feet of clay. David made some mistakes. I suspect Solomon learned from his father's successes and from his failures, as we all do. But there must have come that moment after Solomon got married and got married and got married And got married a thousand times or so after all of those marriages. And God began to bless them with children. And there must have come that moment when he said, How do I help my kids make good choices? How do I lead them to the place of wisdom and encouragement and instruction? And he sort of summarizes it in a couple of places right at the beginning of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then in 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He wanted his children to fear the Lord. Because if he, he knew if they feared the Lord, they would have the knowledge and wisdom they needed. Not only to succeed in life, but literally to live. And he wanted them more than anything to live. More than anything, Solomon wanted his children to know the Lord. More than anything, I say advisedly, because I suppose, don't you think Solomon's kids had lots of stuff? Probably all the stuff that was stuff in those days, the stuff that everybody had to have. If you had the latest stuff, they probably had that stuff. Their dad was the wealthiest man who ever lived. They had lots of things, but Solomon knew what Jesus taught later. He understood this principle even before Jesus taught it, that it is possible in this world to gain the whole world and to lose your soul. And Solomon didn't want that for his kids. And I don't want that for my kids or for your kids or for our kids or for God's kids. I don't want us to be lost in a world that would sometimes lead us astray. So hear me when I say the highest purpose of a father is to reveal the reality of God in the world to his children. That is the highest purpose of a father or I could say a mother of an aunt or an uncle who has influence on children, the highest purpose of a school teacher or a Sunday school teacher or one who leads choirs. The highest purpose is to so live our lives with delight in those we love and with discipline for them to give them correction that when they look at us, they will recognize there really is a God who loves them so much, He will not just send them on their way to follow their own desires and devices, but instead, He loves us enough to discipline us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, this is the sure sign 
that God loves you. That as a father who disciplines the son in whom he delights, the daughter in whom he delights, God loves you and he disciplines you. And what if his discipline is the sure sign that God really loves us? First, notice in verse 11 that we are to delight in the discipline of our heavenly father. We're to take delight. We have a choice to respond when we respond to discipline. We can either, he says, resent the father's rebuke or we can receive it. We can despise his discipline or we can delight in it. We can be troubled by God's discipline or we can be trained by it. Why does the Heavenly Father discipline us? Why should we discipline our children? Isn't it to eradicate foolishness in our lives that God disciplines us? And you say, well, can you define what you mean by quit acting a fool? What does a fool do? Well, Proverbs chapter, or Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. I read yesterday morning in my second trip through the Psalms this year. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now we look at that and I've read that many ways through the years, but I've sort of seen that as, you know, well, the fool's the person who's standing on the street corner shouting, you know, like Madeline Murray O'Hare. There is no God. There is no God at the top of their voices. But that's not what it says. It says the fool has said in his heart, that is, has made a deliberate determination and discernment in his own heart that there is no God and begins to act on that premise So, for instance, I was reading this week about Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion. Richard is one of those neo-atheists who's writing uh, uh, intellectual books about atheism these days. And I was reading another book, Dinesh D'Souza's book, What's Right About Christianity, which is kind of a response to the neo-atheists. But he quotes um, Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion. This is what Dawkins says. He says, on a scale of one to seven, if one is being certain there is a God and seven is being certain there is not a God, he said, I'm about a six. Now, he's a scientist, he's a biologist, and he says, I can't prove that there is no God. And here's the the, the quote I want you to hear. He said, but I live my day each day with the assumption that there is no God. Now, that doesn't surprise me for a radical, fanatical atheist to say that. But when I read that, I felt a, a sense of conviction. And I wondered how many people in my hearing today could say to me, after church is over each week, As I go back to work, relate to people in my neighborhood, deal with my family, uh, deal with uh, uh, the issues of life, for the most part, God really doesn't factor into that decision making. I go to church, I'm part of the crowd, but in truth, I don't live my life measurably differently from the people who don't claim to believe in God at all. And I don't mean to be harsh or caustic, but I read recently that the real issue for the church today is what they call functional atheism. That is, we all believe in God. We just sort of live sometimes like it isn't really all true. And that's a dangerous place for a follower of Christ to be. And I want to teach this morning. I want to admonish because I think the Heavenly Father is working in my life and your lives to eradicate the foolishness of us thinking for a single minute that we can live a single second of our lives without Him. We need Him like we need air, like we need water, like we need food, like we need rest, like we need all of those things combined and more. We need God. And God works so that we will have the fear of the Lord, which will be the beginning of the wisdom and the knowledge we need. And it is possible, can I just testify, to make a four point and to miss the point. And the point is God. To know Him and to love Him and to serve Him. And God disciplines those 
whom He loves. He, he is disciplining us to eradicate foolishness and we have a choice, verse 11, either to despise that or delight in His discipline. Can you think of a time when God worked to get your attention? Maybe it was as uh, Balaam who heard God's voice speaking through a donkey. Or maybe it was like the Apostle Paul who would say, I have this thorn in the flesh and through it God keeps saying to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Maybe it's something painful. What if the real measure of God's delight in our lives is not when things are going well, but sometimes when we're making sketchy choices, wrong decisions, and God puts obstacles in our way to stop us and to redirect our hearts and our steps. I read again this week from a different perspective the story of Joe Bailey and his son Tim. I think I told it to you recently about his son Tim who when he was a teenager became rebellious and Joe put him out of the house. And then there came a point when uh, he got a phone call at night and heard that Tim was in jail And he went down to Cook County Jail in Chicago area looking for his son. Didn't find him there. Went to several different jails. Couldn't find his son. Finally drove to the house where his son lived with a group of artists and musicians. And he went inside and found his son asleep in a sleeping bag on the second floor there on the wood floor. And he was so grateful that his son was okay and that he wasn't in jail. That he didn't wake him up, didn't say anything to him, just kind of kissed him on the forehead and left and Then his son started coming home again. Sometime after that became obedient to his parents. And one day later, Joe said to his his son, why did you decide to come home? And he said, Dad, don't you know it was when you kissed me that night and I knew that you had been out looking for me. And when you came that night, I was just so grateful that you cared enough to come looking for me. I read that story from Joe's perspective. This week I had the chance to read it from the son's perspective. He's a pastor up in the Midwest now. And Tim says, you would think that it was just my father's kindness that brought me back home. But actually he said it was not just his, his tenderness, it was also his toughness in putting me out of the house. Because when God put me out of the house, then I realized just how good the house was. And I knew I needed to get back to the house. And it was my father's discipline which led me to the point of discovering his love through kindness which led me all the way back home. Real love for our children is not just sort of turning them loose in the world and saying, do whatever you want to do. Real love is caring enough about them to teach them, that's the word, to discipline them, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It means sometimes pointing the way and saying, go this way. And it means sometimes saying, no, stop. Don't go that way, because that way will lead you to great pain. My father had a deep sense of this. He had an Air Force belt, and um, he believed what Solomon said, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. If you spare the rod, you hate your children. My father, he believed that fervently, and he practiced that, and he had this Air Force belt, and uh, he would say to us, now, boys, I love you, and I I don't want to hurt you, but the bottom line is, if you keep messing up, there's probably going to come a point in time when you start using drugs. And when you start using drugs, you're going to end up in jail. When you're up in jail, that's going to be worse than death. And so I'm just going to spare you that. If you know you're going to use drugs, just tell me and I'll kill you ahead of time and just save you lots of pain. And I believed my father when he said that. I mean, when I was young. I, I mean, he was kind of tongue-in-cheek and he was a very loving person. I never came to the place, as Hebrews describes that our fathers disciplined us as they thought best, I never got to the place where I love the Air Force belt. I never did. 
But I did get to the place where I loved the man who used the Air Force belt because he was not capricious with his discipline. He wanted the best for my life and he was determined to spare me pain even if he had to cause me a little bit of pain along the way to keep me from acting a fool. He was willing to do that. And this is precisely what the writer of Proverbs, this is what Solomon is saying, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, God sometimes disciplines us, not capriciously, but always to bring His goodness and His righteousness and His peace and His holiness to bear in our lives. And let me just, can I be a voice this morning? I need to be careful to say this, that that I'm not saying, oh, abuse is a good thing. Far, far, far from that. Our Heavenly Father is the absolute opposite of abuse. And, and I, I hurt with those who've experienced that kind of pain because God never intended that. But this word discipline literally means teaching. It's loving enough to teach. It's, um, as Jill Rigby describes in her book, Raising uh, unselfish children in a self-centered world. She has this book and she tells the story of that Massachusetts family that went on vacation in Florida with their three-year-old, went to Disney World. They were getting on the plane to go back. You remember this story from the news? You'll remember the story because the three-year-old uh, decided that she didn't want to sit down and put a seatbelt on. And her parents decided that that was her choice. And so they were uh, working with her, dialoguing with her. She was having a you're not the boss of me kind of fit. And the stewardess said, we've got to fly. Can you put her in the seatbelt? Well, we don't force our child to do things she doesn't want to do. So we give us a little bit more time to talk to our daughter. This is a three-year-old, mind you. So they tried as hard as they could. Fifteen minutes later, they were unceremoniously evicted. Remember this story? Evicted from the plane because they wouldn't make their daughter sit down and wear the seatbelt. Can I just say, asking your children to wear a seatbelt is not an unloving thing. It's loving. Why? Because it protects them. I, I don't believe that God is so in love with His law that He's afraid you and I are going to break His law and He's threatened by the fact that you and I could break His law. I'll tell you about God. It's not that He's afraid we're going to break His law. He's afraid that we're going to break ourselves over His law. And He loves us so much that He wants to keep us from that. And so He disciplines us and He works in our lives in ways to try to keep us from that pain. And I believe that God teaches those whom He loves. In fact, His teaching is a sure sign of His love. If you just follow Solomon's story and you go back to, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and, 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 uh, God is talking to David and he says, David, you don't get to build my house, but you're going to have a son and he's going to build my house. And listen to what God says. I want you to hear what God says in these verses. He says, and I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. In other words, I'm not going to relate to Solomon through you, David. He's going to be my son and I'm going to be his father. I don't have any grandchildren, God says, but I'm going to relate to him specifically. And listen to this. God says about Solomon and when he does wrong, I will correct him. But I will never take my love from him. This is the way God loves. He keeps on reaching out for our attention, even when we're not willing to give that attention to him. I think it's why Martin Luther, when he was walking through a field one day and lightning struck, when he fell to his knees and he said, OK, I'll go into the ministry. He had planned to be a lawyer at that point, but the lightning got his attention. And that was the beginning of Martin Luther's conversion. It was the beginning, by the way, of the Great Reformation, of which we are in part a, a product. And it was a moment when God got Luther's Attention. I wonder, what would God have to do to get my attention and your attention? If He spoke through the mouth of a donkey, would that, would that get our attention? If He gave us a thorn in the flesh, hmm, 
Dennis Miller tells about his teenager who is beginning to drive. I identify with this for the second time now. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting day. His son has a cell phone. So he says to his son, you know, when you drive anywhere, when you get there, call me. Call me and tell me you're there. Then I'll know you're safe. Then I won't be worried. How many parents and grandparents can identify with this? Just call me. Let me know that you're there. Even if you're just going around the block, I need to know that you're there. My father taught us this and, and uh, we're working with this with our boys. But what happens? Kids get to the place where they're going and the last thing on their minds is their parents. And so they forget to call. Dennis Miller's son was struggling with this. And so Dennis finally just said to him, you know, if you don't start calling me when you get there, the next time that happens, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to call you until you come home. It may be your funnest night of your life. You're having a great time with your friends. You're in the middle of fun. But I'm just going to say, okay, if you can't call me, you're going to have to come home. So you better start taking me seriously. And the son said, oh, yes, Dad, I, I promise I will. And sure enough, he uh, goes off. And what does he do? He gets there and he starts having fun, forgets to call his dad. And his dad is so frustrated. He's just around the corner. He could drive over there and see if he's there. But he wants his son to let him know. You understand this kind of discipline. My wife takes this so seriously. She got us that feature of the global positioning on our boys' phones that connect to her phone. So she always knows where they are. I'm not making this up. We literally look them up sometimes where they are. It'll tell us within like, I don't know, a thousand yards of where they are. So we'll know where they are. And for $5,000 a week, you can get this feature on your phone. <laughs> it's a great thing. You'll always know where they are. You won't have any money, but you'll know where they are. Well, Dennis Miller, uh, he says, you know, what am I going to do here? My son, he hadn't called me and he says to his wife, I don't want to punish him. I don't want to make him come home, but he's got to learn this lesson. And so he starts to dial his son and it's like he's while he's dialing and the phone starts to ring. It's as if he says, God says to him, treat him like I treat you. And he thinks for a moment and he hangs up and he goes, what, what does that mean? Treat him like I treat you. How would the father treat me? And while he's trying to ponder that, the phone rings and it's his son. He says, oh, dad. I forgot to call you. I got here safely and I'm fine. I just wanted you to know the phone rang one time and it made me think of you. And so I just gave you a call and I just wanted you to know I'm okay. And I wondered if sometimes the things that happen in our lives that are very painful for us, if that is not like that, that one phone ring from God where God just says, hey, would you please call home? I need you to check in. And for your sake, for my sake, Please call home. I wonder if those, those things that happened this week that were frustrating, when maybe we were making not so good choices, were God's way of saying, just one ring, just one ring. Okay, call home now. This is the time to call home. I need you to check in with me because I'm convinced that if you and I choose a path of disobedience to God, God will correct us. He will chastise us. He will discipline us. Our God does not discipline, uh, one old preacher said, He does not discipline the devil's children. Uh, if God is not calling and checking on you and God is not disciplining you, listen, that's a bad sign. L listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. He says, if you're not being disciplined by God, then you're not God's children. You want God to discipline you. The worst thing that could happen would be for God to just sort of let us go our own way. As Romans chapters 1 and 2 say, that would not be a good thing for God just to leave us to our own devices. No, you want God. I want God. To discipline me, to discipline us, to bring us back. Because he disciplines out of love to bring goodness and a harvest of righteousness and peace. Listen to this. For those who are trained by it. And the question is, will we be troubled by God's discipline? Or will we be trained by it? A couple times in my life, I remember 
consciously thinking, I am outside the will of God, and I'm just going to see how this goes. <laughs> uh, one time was a little over 10 years ago. I'm not sure I was quite as conscious that time, but uh, your committee asked me to come and be your pastor, uh, to come and view of a call to be your pastor. And I, at that point, as my prayer partner said, uh, loved what God was doing in my life in Austin better than the will of God. And so I just decided I was going to stay there and see how that worked. And and I remember Melanie and I making that decision, and um, it was like we had an anvil on top of our heads for a while there. Did you say, you sure we're doing the right thing? Yeah, sure. Then why do we have these anvils on our heads? Why are we just like feeling the weight of the world? And we had to kind of come back and say, wait a minute, God, we'll do and go wherever you want us to be. And we're so glad that God gave us a chance to be obedient to him in this way. The other time I remember was when I was a teenager. I was already called to preach. I'd already begun to preach. I'd already begun to lead my friends to Christ. I'd read the scriptures all the way through. But I was frustrated about something that happened at the end of my eighth grade school year. And I just decided, I wonder what it would be like if I just lived like there wasn't a God. Didn't read the Bible every day. Didn't pray. Didn't talk to my friends about the Lord. Just what if I just sort of had a little planned rebellion here? I wonder how that would go. Well, let me tell you how that went. I, I started that and I, you know, I, you know, I don't know how rebellious an eighth grader can be, but I was pretty rebellious and I was just sort of checking that out. I want to see how that would go. And I remember my parents saying to me, OK, we're going to go on vacation with the Cunninghams load up. It was July the 4th, 1976. Interesting how I remember that day. Bicentennial day for the United States. We were over in Germany. We decided to go on vacation. We rode in our van with the uh, Cunninghams, our friends, and we got to the place where we rode the cable car up the mountain. I remember in my rebellion, you know, riding the cable car up the mountain. I'm free. I'm in control of my life. This is great, you know. I don't know if anybody else knew I was in rebellion, but I was in full-fledged rebellion against God. I remember buying ice cream. I remember a bee buzzing right behind my ear, chasing my ice cream. I remember running from the bee and making a sort of Tony Dorsett cut out into the street. Because we'd ridden the cable car, I didn't think that there were cars on this mountain for some reason. I remember the clunk when the truck hit me. I remember bouncing on the pavement and sliding. I remember my mom being hysterical. My dad coming down through the crowd. My dad checking me out, making sure I was okay, lifting me to my feet, dusting me off. But I could swear to you as I look back on that day that it wasn't just my earthly father, but my heavenly father speaking through my earthly father that day, saying to me, so you want to try to live life without me? You want to be rebellious? Quit acting a fool. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for speaking to us. You whisper in our pleasure. And sometimes you shout in our pain. And pain becomes your megaphone to awaken a deaf world. Today, Lord, if we hear your voice, please do not let us harden our hearts. But let us respond to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.